Sobering video, isn't it? Sobering video, isn't it? Today's a message that um, I really hope um, will challenge us to think about time, to think about that last day of our life, what the defining moments would be. If you had flashback over your life, what would be the things that stick out in your mind the most in that last day of your life? Each one of us are challenged today, and and may I say, first off, if you're here and you are not a Christ follower, I want to encourage you to listen today, but really I want to talk to those of us who claim to be Christians today. If you're here today, you'll hear about a man named Jesus who loved you, but you're going to hear a lot about what God expects of us um, as Christ followers, but uh, I want to talk today mainly to those of us who know Jesus, And, and I want to talk about and challenge us about how we live our life. What will those defining moments be When we think back over our lives and the last day of our life. I would hope there'd be defining moments when we took the time to talk to a woman who was running a hundred miles an hour in the wrong direction. I would hope that we could pause and think about the people who are hurting underneath the shadow of our steeple. And I hope it would show us being caring and compassionate for those who are outside the gospel of Jesus Christ. As I heard David use those words today, he died for us. And we celebrate that today. He died for us. But he died for them. And we hold that tremendous message inside the four walls. How guilty are we of not sharing the greatest news ever? If somehow we can't find within our means to give to Annie Armstrong or to Lottie Moon or to World Hunger. And we come to the last day of our life and we look back how we spent our funds and the things that we thought were important. I would hope that one of the defining moments would be that we reached a point in our life when we realized that there were Iranians in Los Angeles who are lost. And that there are people trying to reach those lost people in Los Angeles or Chicago or Harrisburg. I hope it would be a defining moment for us that we made the priority of how we invested our funds in this world. If you'll come back tonight, I really hope that you will. You'll see how I hope one of the defining moments would be that when we took the time out of our busy schedules to go to a foreign field somewhere on a short-term mission trip to minister to those who are not Christian, not because they've said no dozens of times, but because they've never heard the great truth of Jesus Christ. To have the privilege of hearing an African say, will you choose Jesus today? And the face even of persecution or punishment says, yes, I choose Jesus. What will your defining moments be as a Christ follower on the last day of your life? And it is about time today. Now, this is one of those messages you may not walk out feeling all charged up. Uh, You may not walk out going, boy, that was really encouraging. But if we leave today challenged, I will consider it uh, a successful day. Because God wants to work in our lives and make our lives count for his kingdom. Now, I feel necessary to to give a little um, disclaimer at the beginning of this. In the last couple, three years, you've heard a whole lot about God's grace. I shared with a young man um, Friday night at my house who was pretty discouraged. And, and, you know, the younger generation particularly, that's a millennial generation, they don't get this thing about all Christianity is is keeping the rules. And they are teaching us 
that's about God's amazing grace. That, that there are rules to keep, but those rules are not to gain God's favor. And that's the disclaimer. We've almost been taught to believe in America and Western culture that, that somehow when we, we, when we obey the rules that God smiles and puts his favor on us. But if we fail to keep the rules that God scorns, scowls at us. And I want to tell you that's nothing further than the truth than that. That we are who we are today because of God's amazing grace. And yes, God did give us an amazing book called the Bible that teaches us how we ought to live. But it's not to gain his favor. It is to do two things. Well, maybe three. One, to bring glory to his name. I happen to believe that the Bible is one of the best, not one, the best roadmap of how to live this life. In other words, when we follow the word of God, we have a good life in the sense of God's instruction teaching us. It's how to do marriage. It's how to do parenting. It's how to do finances. That life seems to go better or more straight in those areas when we obey the word of God. But lastly, and most importantly, is, is to have us present a Jesus that catches the world's attention out in this community. So, so I hope you'll feel challenged. I hope that you'll, it's one of those sermons you haven't heard in a while where we really talk about what we do as believers. But don't leave saying, I've got to do this or else God doesn't love me anymore or I lose God's favor. You did not get God's favor by performance and you can't keep God's favor by performance. It is all by God's amazing, wonderful grace. So, so take your Bibles and turn to Romans, an incredible scripture, Romans chapter 13. And actually, we're going to start in verse number 8. I told the guys back there that we have to do this. I really didn't pay attention when I was studying that we really have to go back up to 8. Because it's one of those connecting scriptures that I think we would be wrong if we didn't back up to verse 8. So Romans chapter 13 and verse number 8. Now, it's amazing because I, I want to look at verse uh, 11 and you'll see why we have to back up. Paul says in Romans 13, 11, besides this. And so you kind of have to go, well, what is the this? Okay. And listen to these scriptures. It's an amazing scripture. Oh, no one anything except to love one another. Now, he's not talking about debt. He's talking about the debt of love. He's not talking about debt in general. Okay. He's talking about a debt of love. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. Now, listen to these words. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet it. And if there is any other commandment, are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does not harm. Love does not do harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Now, isn't it funny how that we, you just can't get away from love? Come on. Isn't that true? You just can't get away from love. It's so funny because, again, in, in, in the preaching in the last 30 years, you know, we hear a lot about do this and do this and do this and do this. And, and boy, we pride ourselves. You know, we don't. We're teetotalers. Um, if, if, if there is a divorce, oh, my gosh, we want to put the scarlet letter on them and say, oh, and all these different things that we've done. And I'm not proving those sins at all. I'm just saying we so have capitalized on performance. And then somehow figured out we could... Hate our neighbor and somehow it was all right. We could hate our ex-husband or our ex-wife and somehow it was justified. We could, we could lash out at people with unforgiveness and judgment and somehow it was okay. May I suggest we maybe need to go back and read the Gospels again? 
Because the Savior I know and the Savior you know didn't believe that. He, he, would, he would call a guy named Matthew, who was a tax collector, who was the, the, the lowest on the totem pole sin-wise, and say, hey, follow me, and then go to his house for dinner. He didn't isolate himself from sinners. He embraced sinners for the sake of being loved to them, so they may discover who he was. Am I right? So I think it's incredible that, that Paul says, now besides this, before we talk about all this other stuff, beside this, would you please hear this morning, Paul would say... If you are a Christ follower, on the top of your to-do list needs to be love. Because, you know what? If you do love, then that adultery thing and that stealing thing, that covenant thing, when you start loving and loving God as you should and loving people as you should, those things kind of go by the wayside. It's a gimme. Again, we don't keep rules because we have to. I hope if you think yourself as a rule keeper, you do it because you love God. You do it because he is the one worthy of our love because of a Roman cross and because of an empty tomb and because of the promise we're going to talk about today that he is coming back today. So Paul says you got to love one another. Besides this, though, he says this. You know the time that the hour has come for you to awake from sleep. Paul says the clock has been ticking. And, and it's time now, of all times, and remember this is written 2,100 years ago, so now we're 2,100 years later down the ball game, and we would say this, Paul would say, the time has come. If there's ever a time to wake up, now is that time. And the reason why Paul tells us that we should wake up is because Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. You see, Jesus said in John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3, he said, you know, don't let your heart be troubled. And I, I, I received news of two deaths this week. We have two members in the hospital. Two people I know of off the top of my head are waiting results tomorrow about whether they have cancer or not. And, you know, again, I spent an hour and a half with a young man Friday night who was so troubled in his life. There is trouble. And Jesus would say, let not your heart be troubled because you have sufficient funds in your checking account. Let not your heart be troubled because you have a position of power, authority, or a title after your name. No, no, no. He says, let not your heart be troubled because you believe in God. Now also believe in me. And he says this. In my father's house are many mansions. And if it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm going to come again. And receive you unto myself. I'm going to come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there ye may be. Also, Jesus is coming back. And he's coming either individually or in mass. What do you mean? We're going to leave this world one of two ways. If you're a Christ follower today, there are one of two ways you're going to leave this world. One day, death is going to come knocking at your door. And Jesus, if you're a Christ follower... Jesus will come and take you home. I believe it. I believe it. I believe when Paul said, absent from the body is to be present with the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is coming back and it's either via death or rapture. A death or the catching away of the church. And we don't know about the death thing, do we? Was it four weeks ago or three weeks ago? I stood before about 250, 300 people. In a high school gymnasium in a place called Cobden, Illinois. And in the casket, 
was a 22-year-old girl who had seemed like just yesterday, Brent, I did a baby dedication for when she was born. Well, the last images I have of her is dressed up for Easter when she was about eight years old. The Easter we left Cobden and came to Dorisville. 22 years old. And over the last several months, have we not listened to the Baptist Hour? Have we not read the papers? Have we not been touched in our own church about people that God chose to take into eternity at such a young age? The bottom line is we're not guaranteed 70 or 80 years. We do not know the time for our own death. Time could be very limited. The clock is ticking. The Bible says in in Psalm 90, verse 12, Moses, of all people, wrote Psalm 90. And says, Lord, teach us to number our days. Teach us to count our days. Teach us to, to know the days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Lord, teach us. Teach us to value each day you give us. Understand that he is the author and giver of every single day. And everything that we are as Christ followers of of his amazing grace is because of him. Teach us to number our days that that we may gain this heart of wisdom. Now, of course, over in Ephesians in chapter 5, verse 15 through 17, let me read it to you. Pay careful attention, Paul says to the church at Ephesus. Pay careful attention then to how you walk. Now, of course, you understand he's not talking about how you walk. He's talking about how you live. How you, how you gather the defining moments of your life that you're going to count that day when your death does come. Not as unwise people or foolish people, but as wise. Making the most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the, Lord, the Lord's will is. So, so Paul, speaking to the church at Ephesus, says, be so wise about how you do this thing called life. Because you know what? I need to tell some of you, y'all. You just need to hear this. Some of you are killing yourselves working 60 and 70 hours a week for a company that will give a flip when you're lying in a casket. Some of you are spending so much of your time trying to amass wealth that you may well not get to enjoy because... God has a day picked out for you, and it's not when you're 90. It's when you're 55. See, the way we redeem the time is not planning the future here, but planning the future there. That's what matters. So Jesus is coming back, and he's coming back individually for some of us. But here's the great news. We live in an era, you don't have to to be much of a Bible student to know there's something going on in the world. And if you know a little bit about the Bible, we can see signs of the times everywhere. And it's just very possible. It's just very possible that this might be the generation that experiences the catching away or what we call the rapture of the church. Jesus could well come back. That's probably a good place for an amen. Listen to this. Matthew, here's what Jesus said. Matthew 24, verse 4. Then Jesus replied to them. He said, hey, when's your kingdom come in? When's all this going to go down? Then Jesus replied to them, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Messiah. And they will deceive many. You are going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. 
See that you are not alarmed. Because these things must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these events are the beginning of birth pains. Is it possible... I'm not the prophet, nor the son of a prophet. But is it possible that some of the things we are seeing today are the beginning of birth pains? Of what we would call the last days? The days when Jesus could come and catch his church away? Then they will hand you over to persecution. And they will kill you. You will be hated by all nations because of my name. Then many will take offense, betray one another, and hate one another. Many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. Because lawlessness, living outside the law, will multiply. Listen carefully. And the love of many will grow cold. Have you ever seen a time today? And I know you're not pastors, but you may not pay attention to those kind of things. But have you ever seen such a coldness in the body of Christ across the nation, across denominational lines? It's frightening. It's frightening. The love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be delivered, will be saved. This good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed in all the world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. I had written down first, and I've heard and taught, that really nothing has to happen for Jesus to come again. But there is one thing. There's a people group somewhere... Whether in Asia or Africa or South America. And Jesus is waiting for that last people group to hear the gospel. And then the end will come. We don't see it in America. We talked about this in Africa. We don't see it in America. But there is revival breaking out in this world. Muslims by the millions are being saved. Chinese by the millions are being saved. And persecution and the martyrdom of believers is at an all-time high. We don't see it here. But it's happening. And God is preparing. God is preparing for a time... When time as we know it will be no more. Jesus is coming back. So he says, Paul does, Besides this you know the time that the hour has come for you to awake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Signs of the times are everywhere. And there's a brand new feeling. In the air. Keep your eyes upon the eastern sky. Lift up your heads. Your redemption draweth nigh. What will be your defining moments until that time comes? See, our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Katie, as you were singing that song, where are you at, Katie? Yeah, when you were singing that song, I forgot the line about under the shadow of our steeple. See, as our salvation is drawing nearer, those of us who know Christ, our salvation is drawing nearer. Their judgment is drawing nearer. 
The closing of the opportunity of the age of grace is drawing near. And if we believe the Bible, what the Bible says, that Jesus Christ is the only way, that means every person who dies outside of grace, outside of faith in Jesus Christ, will spend eternity separated from God. So it's time. It's time. Whether it be in Africa or Los Angeles or, or, or just a few blocks north of here on Barnett Street or whether over in Southwest Acres or whether it's 500 feet underground or in the ninth grade, Sunday school, or ninth grade class at the high school. It's time to wake out of sleep because Jesus is coming back. Either individually or in mass. Whatever. I always quote. This is a definite misquote of scripture. I always like to use it because I, I say it all the time. You know, when, when Judas was about to betray Jesus, and Jesus said, whatever you're going to do, do quickly. Well, brothers and sisters, whatever you're going to do for the kingdom of God, whatever defining moment you're going to make in your life, do it quickly. Because we don't know how long we have. And parents may just stop and pause. I'm not chasing a rabbit, but can I pause a moment? You've got this much time to impact your student and your child. They say something like 75% of a child's personality is developed by age 5. You've got this much time to impact your children. Don't waste it. The worst thing in the world is when, you turn, when your child's 16, all of a sudden you try to be the great, strong parent. <laughs> Good luck. The time to influence and impact their lives is now. While like a young tree, they're able to be bent in the will of God. So what do you think this one says this? Verse number 12. The night is far gone. And isn't it? Ever since the beginning in the garden, when, when Eve said yes to sin and yes to Satan and temptation and man fell, ever since then, it's been the time of night. And there was flashes of lightning. There's flashes of light. In the prophets, we saw flashes of light. And, and in, the, in the shedding of, of animals looking forward to the cross, we saw flashes of light. And then 2,000 years ago, the light of the world came into this world. But men love darkness rather than light. And one day, one day the night will be over. As Paul says it, the day is at hand. It may have seemed like Satan's had his way in this old world. And we've seen so many things we don't understand about this old world. But I'm telling you what, the day is at hand. And the time for defining moments for kingdom work is now. Is now. There's a, there's a verse in 1 Thessalonians 5 5 says this You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or the darkness. Would you say that last part with me, please? We do not belong to the night or the darkness. If you are saved today, if you have experienced God's grace and are forgiven today, if you call yourself a Christian, if you call yourself a believer, if you call yourself a Christ follower, let me tell you something. You don't belong to the night. You do not belong to the night. You belong to the day. You belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. And by God's amazing grace, listen, by God's amazing grace, you are holy. Not, not because you put on a suit today and came to church. Not because you wrote a check and put it in the offering plate. But because of God's amazing grace, you are holy. You are righteous. That is called positional. 
But Paul now challenges us when he says in the last part, so then cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. He's saying now practically live that out. Practically live that out. Positionally you are holy. Positionally you are righteous. Now practically live that out in your life. It means casting off the works of darkness. It means the things that, that, that are so not God, that are sin, get those away from you. And put on the armor of light. And of course, I hope you'll write down Ephesians chapter 6. And that's exactly what he's talking about. The armor of God. Be sure and clothe yourself. Um, armor yourself. So you can wage warfare in this world. So your defining moments will be kingdom founded. So he goes this. He says this. Let us walk properly in the daytime. Let us walk properly in the daytime. Let's live in such a way that when the world sees us. They see Christ. When the world looks at us, they see the things of Christ. Now, he gives us a, a negative example. He says, um, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality. And then he kind of throws us a curve. Not in quarreling and jealousy. The words there, orgies and drunkenness, are in the Greek definitely point toward, if you will, an alcohol drunk. I mean, a party, uh, an event that just allows people to get totally snockered in alcohol. And Paul says, badness or not, there's no place for that if you walk in the light. I don't know when the last time you were drunk, but I sure hope it was before you met Jesus. And in case you need to hear it, the Bible is very clear. There's no place for alcohol abuse and drunkenness in the child of God. I don't care what the world says. That's what God's word says. So he says, not in drunkenness or orgies, not in sexual immorality and sensuality. And that word means no license. No license. It means pure moral failure. And gosh, can I be honest as your pastor? Read, look at the news. We see it in, in popular Christian figures of, of, of sexual, moral failure everywhere. And Paul says that just shouldn't be. And then he throws us this curve. And this is, this is what I want you to hear today. You know, most of us, if I, if I went on a rant about alcohol, amen, yeah, that's right, amen, that's right, amen. And if I talk about sexuality and moral failure, that's right, those people all not do, that's right, that's right. But, but when I come to this one, it gets really quiet in the room, although it's really quiet today anyway. Not in quarreling and jealousy. See, we want to put a whole lot of weight on this performance thing. As far as, you know, the, 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 the flesh sins. But we sure don't want to hear too much about the heart sins. We want to rant and rave about this and that and this and that that's outside the body, that the body does. But when it talks about unforgiveness and jealousy and envy and hatred, those things, we kind of want to go, well, yeah, but they're not as bad. Uh, hello. Sin is sin. Consequences are different, but sin is sin. Jesus died for your unforgiveness. Jesus paid the price for, for our, our jealousies. Jesus paid the price. Those sins nailed him to the cross as much as any other sin you might want to name. Can I have an Amen. So, so, so what does this darkness look like? 
If you want to take your Bibles, turn it, because we're going to be there in just a minute. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 19, Paul gives us this extensive list. Right, by the way, right into a church that had tendency to go back to the law. <laughs> Galatian church, the church of Galatia kind of went back to the law and wanted to leave grace. Okay? But here's, listen to this list of darkness that he writes. Now this is the, I'm sorry. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, check. Moral impurity, check. Promiscuity, check. Idolatry. Can we talk? Now, I don't have a little fat guy in my, well, there may be a fat guy in my house, but that's me. <laughs> I don't have a fat guy sitting on a shelf somewhere, you know, doing this. I know that. We don't, none of us have golden calves probably sitting around our house, but come on. Don't we have a tendency to worship the things of the world? Don't we kind of have a tendency to have... See, anything that comes before God is an idol. So maybe your house, maybe your career, maybe your title, maybe position, maybe you know, things that we can buy, maybe ourselves. So idolatry, well, yeah. Um, sorcery, and that's where we get our word pharmacia. It's, 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 it's magic with drugs involved. Um, hatreds, oh, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, enviness, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. That's what darkness looks like. Now, you know that I've started shying away from the use of the word Christian. Because we have defined, the word Christian appears, I think it's twice in the Bible, each time it's used by the world in a negative way. And in reality, the word Christian should mean Christ-like. But that's truthfully just not what it is. In fact, we don't use the word Christian in Africa because it has such negative connotations. But you know what you call a person that participates in this list? The average Christian. Now, I use that term loosely. I mean, drunkenness in the church? Yep. Adultery? Yep. Anger? Yep. Unforgiveness? Yep, 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 yep. It's a shame that the people of God have so much in the world in us that we look more like darkness than we do light. And again, you may not have all of these, but did you know a majority of these are, are the things, there's nine of them, those are things that we just kind of excuse in the church? Like, if I want to hate Brent, that's okay. If I don't want to forgive Robin, that's all right. If I want to be jealous because I don't have the car that Ben has, sure. And you know why the world doesn't want what we're selling? Because they look at us, that's like they're looking in the mirror going, it looks a whole lot like me. The only difference is, they lose two hours of sleep on Sunday morning. So, so Paul says that we are to walk properly in the daytime. Hey, listen, this is why I want that, that's why I want that caveat at the beginning about grace. I'm not trying to tell you you've got to performance your way into God. But because of what Jesus Christ has done for us on Calvary's cross, we need to live holy lives in this world. We need to live holy lives in this world. And my goodness, the lady who's running 100 miles an hour straight toward hell needs to see a difference in us. 
And she doesn't need to fill our judgment saying we're better. We're not better. We've just experienced God's grace. We've just experienced God's grace. All that we are ever will be is because of God's grace. So what does darkness look like? It's a deep, it's a dark list. But then Paul goes on and closes it out and he says this. In verse 14, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. In, in Galatians 3.27, as many of you have been baptized, have put on Christ. As many of you have baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. It means to be clothed with Christ. We, when we trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, we put on Jesus. And what does that look like? Love. Joy. Peace. Patience. Kindness. Goodness. Faith. Gentleness. Self-control. Against such things there is no law. What does it look like when we're clothed? When it's obvious we're clothed in Jesus... We see the attributes of Jesus. One of the things that Andy Stanley says, and I just love it because he's right. Andy Stanley says, isn't it amazing that Jesus loved being around people that were nothing like him? And people who are nothing like him love being around Jesus? Isn't that true? I mean, sinners flocked to Jesus. And the people didn't flock for the Pharisees. And when they did show up, they showed up to judge him. And Jesus just loved them because he loved them. It was for them that he was going to that. For sinners like you and like me. So we've experienced this marvelous grace. But there's so many who have not. And I think I want to... Cha- no, no, no. I know I want to challenge us. I want our bottom line, our takeaway today to be this. That when it comes time to the last day of our life, when there's defining moments written, along with the things that there's nothing wrong with, success in a career, nothing wrong with, uh, a a nest egg to, to retire on, those are all fine. But all along the way, there were kingdom investments. Children who grew to know Jesus. A marriage founded on the rock of the Lord Jesus Christ. A, a reputation in the neighborhood. As a man who loved, a woman who loved God. Now, there's one last thing I want to share because I think it's a great way to close. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ, clothe yourself in Christ, and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Now, here's a, here's a, if you need an evaluation today where you are, if, if you're making defining moments that will last into eternity, or if not, here, here it is. Do you spend the most time planning to avoid sin or to indulge in sin? There's an evaluation question. Looking at your life patterns right now, do you spend the most time planning on how to avoid sin or do you make plans on how to indulge in sin? If you are the kind of believer today who spends a chunk of your time setting habits, setting um, safe places up to where you can avoid sin, that's a really good sign that you're walking in the light. But if you find find yourself 
a lot of time justifying and rationalizing your lifestyle and you and you like you call your wife and say you're going or work ran late and you're at the bar with another person you, you come up with schemes you get up in the middle of the night while your wife's asleep and you peek at the computer in places you should not be or go you call your mom and dad on a Friday night and say I'm spending the night with so and so when in fact there's some guy in the back seat in the middle of nowhere see that's a real conflict isn't it see if you're if you spend more time planning on how you're going to sin, I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm just saying you're walking in darkness. And Paul is calling out, it's time to wake up. It's time to live a holy life in front of this world. Because of what he did. Because of what he did. Would you bow your heads, please? I told you this would be a challenging message. You've probably heard a message like this from me in a long time. And it's not because I'm afraid to preach on it. It's just today was today. Now, if you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus, you're probably going, see, Dwayne, that's exactly why I don't want to be a Christian. Because people like you with a microphone stand up and tell people how bad they are and how they ought to do this and all that. You missed it. God does give us rules and guidelines to go by. But my challenge to us today is to do it because we love him and he loves us. Not so God can put a notch in his belt or I can put a notch in my belt that we lived a certain way and did certain things. Man, I I wish I could tell you how much God loves you today. He loves you so much that he sent his son Jesus Christ to strap on a human body and what we call Christmas Day. And for 33 years, he lived an entirely perfect life, never sinning one time. And then he nailed him to a cross. And he came to die because the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. He died for our sins. He paid the price. He took the wrath of God for our sins. And then he said, don't care what you've done. Don't care what your skin color is. Don't care if you're rich or poor. What language you speak. I love you. I die for you. If you're willing to turn from your sin and follow me, then I'll forgive you. That's incredible. Some people think Jesus is narrow. It's broad, man. It's broad. So today, if you're here and you've never trusted Christ, that's what I want you to hear. And, and then once you, once you trust Christ, the life that follows as you live it in accordance with God's word, I don't think about arguments. It's the best life. In fact, someone told me once, and I'll tell you again, if I die, I've been Christian now for 38 years. If I die tomorrow, and guess what? It was all a myth. There was no cross. God, well, the movie says he's not, but for the sake of illustration, God's dead. God was just something we cranked up for our own emotions. If it was all wrong, guess what? I lived the greatest life ever. I wouldn't change a thing about my life. I would even still have go, get up and go to church. Because I like being around people like you. But here's my question, friend. What if there is a God, and there is? What if we have sinned, and we have? What if there really was a Jesus, and he died on a cross, and there was? And what we're going to celebrate in a few weeks, called Resurrection Sunday, that he defeated death, and he did. What if that's all true, and you miss it? then you've lost everything. 
eternally separated from God. Think about that. Think about that. And from our brothers and sisters in Christ, what stories do you want told at your funeral? As you lay there the last day of your life, what will be the defining moments that flash through your mind? And my question is this. Will they be temporal, temporary, or eternal? Eternal. That's why Paul wrote this. The time has come for us to wake up. To live out practically what we have positionally. Holiness and righteousness. Not to gain God's favor, but because we have His favor. So Lord... Thank you very much for the privilege of teaching this. And God, I'll say it before these people talking to you. You know I haven't arrived. You know I haven't arrived. This preacher is not preaching from the pedestal. He's preaching as one amidst the people. But Father, when I saw those Africans in Uganda and our Mickey's story today about the Iranians... When Katie sang that song about the people in the shadow of our steeple who are lost and hurting, it drives me to be a better example of who Jesus is in my life. I want to pray for every mom and daddy here today. Every mom and daddy. God, that we might show our children Jesus, not only here at church, but when we're at home. I pray for every husband and wife. Father, that you would be God to them in a very big way. As their marriage hits bumps and and the world says, throw it away. May they have the courage because of Calvary to put it back together in your grace. For every person here facing news tomorrow of a biopsy report. For every person here with a a mama in the hospital or a daddy in the hospital, I pray, Father, that as we go through these difficult times, that we would do such in a way that Jesus shows and the world says, I want what they have. Father, two of our members have lost loved ones, a brother and a mother. And as we go to the funeral homes this week, Father, I pray that when the world sees us, they'll see Jesus. That's what it's about. Father, help us to rise to the challenge, the occasion of what you've done. Have your way now, Lord. It's up to you. I know, Holy Spirit, only you can draw people to yourself. And only you can challenge us to life change. So I pray, God, that you do a great work. And Jesus, I pray this. In your name, amen.